0: not cause problems here, I want to invite you to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we are continuing our series here, uh, the Scripture-saturated church, where we're looking at 2 Timothy 3 and 4, and um, just as we've been thinking about this sermon series and even kicking it off this last Sunday, I was just thinking how much I love that phrase, the Scripture-saturated saturated church. I mean that is the type of church that I want to be a part of and as I was thinking about this for us to be a scripture saturated church we must be a scripture saturated people and that's why I'm excited to be able to preach from the sacred writings this morning because as we turn to our passage this morning here in 2 Timothy 3 we're going to see another reason perhaps the the ultimate reason why we should desire to be a scripture-saturated people. And before I begin, Lindsay is going to read the passage that we are encouraging everyone in the church to memorize. I hope that you're making progress there. She's going to read 2 Timothy three fourteen to 17 for us this morning. Yes. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, in Kevin DeYoung's excellent little book, Taking God at His Word, he asks a, a very important question, one that I want to ask you all this morning, where he asks us, what is your ultimate authority? As you're sitting here this morning, what is your ultimate authority? But the truth is we all have an... An ultimate authority in our lives. It's, a, it's impossible to not have one. Consciously or unconsciously, we all live our lives and submit our thoughts, our desires, and our decisions to an authority. Someone or something always has the final say of what goes on in our life, and so again, what is your ultimate authority this morning? could be your parents, the culture, community of friends, your, your friend group as all the cool kids call it? Is it a, is it a group of, of people online, perhaps a social media influencer who has the last word in your life? could certainly be any number of things. But as I've said, it's impossible for us to not have a f- have a final authority that we are filtering our lives through, which I think makes it all the more important for you and I this morning that we are aware of of what is functioning as our ultimate authority. We need to have clarity here because, as you and I both know, there are no lack of voices surrounding us that are vying to be that final authority over our hearts. And today, as we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, actually just the first couple words of this verse, I believe that God wants us to see that his word, the Bible, the, the sacred writings are to be the decisive and definitive authority in our lives. Because as we are going to see this morning, when scripture speaks, God speaks. The Bible is to be our ultimate authority because God is the ultimate authority. And in our Bibles, we have God's inspired written words that he has given to his church. So in our sermon today, which is gonna be a bit little, which is gonna be a little bit different from our normal sermons, it's gonna be more theological than expositional. I want to unpack this claim by looking at what does it mean when we say that when scripture speaks, God speaks, and why does it matter? So, what does it mean and why does it matter? That is our roadmap this morning. So, first, what does it mean when we say that when scripture speaks? God speaks. At its most basic level, to say that when Scripture speaks, God speaks, is to affirm that all of the words in Scripture in our Bibles are God's very words to us. We see this very clearly in verse 16 in our passage. Look there with me again. Whereas Paul, writing to Timothy here in 2 Timothy 3.16, he writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Here in this short clause, we have the most famous words about the Bible in the whole Bible, showing us that the Bible isn't merely a human book, one a book that you might order on Amazon or a book that you might check out from the library. No, verse 16 here is showing us that the Bible is not merely a human book, but it is also a divine book. As Paul says, it is God-breathed. The Bible is a book here with dual authorship, both a human and a divine author. Isn't this amazing, brothers and sisters, that the Bibles you are holding in your hands, the words that you are reading on your phones right now, those are not merely human words. They are divine words from God for you and me this morning. Now I know a claim like that might just raise a whole bunch of questions. How how in the world could a book be both human and divine? Were they, were they co-authors? Did they split up chapters and word counts? Did they did they collaborate together to figure out what they should write? Did one of them do all the work and the other one just put their name on it like a, a ghostwriter of some sort? Well, I think these are all very good questions, and thankfully as we consider these questions, we're not left to ourselves to answer them, because throughout the history of the church, Christians have looked to what's, co- what's been called the doctrine of inspiration to help them understand how the Bible could be both human and divine. That is the doctrine of inspiration. You see the doctrine of inspiration here, it speaks to the relationship between the human words in the Bible and the divine words of the Bible and following from 2 Timothy 3.16, we see that this, this doctrine teaches us that God inspired the human writers to write exactly what he wanted them to write. The, the pages that you see on your Bibles in front of you this morning are the exact words that God wanted the human authors of Scripture to write. And he, he didn't do this in some mechanical way where the, where the authors of Scripture were merely secretaries who wrote word for word exactly what God dictated to them. There are some passages of Scripture like the Ten Commandments that are dictated to the, to the authors of Scripture, to the writers of Scripture. But for the most part, Scripture is not just given mechanically. The, the authors of Scripture weren't an ancient Near Eastern version of a transcription service. The inspiration of Scripture, it wasn't mechanical, but you could say it was organic, where God used the distinct personalities of the biblical authors, their different backgrounds, their different experiences, their different educations and writing styles to convey exactly what he wanted his people to hear in the exact way that he wanted them to hear it. The Apostle Peter shows us that it was God, the Holy Spirit, that inspired the biblical authors to write, and in 2 Peter 121, he says that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here we see that Peter shed some light on how Paul could write that the Bible is God-breathed, he shows us how it, could come from God, from how it could come from the mouth in God. And as we see in 2 Peter 1, it happened because the Holy Spirit carried the authors along. I, I hope this is making sense here. When, when Peter says that men spoke, he's saying that men actually wrote down the words and the language and the style that they would have used to write a letter to their mother or to write a letter to their best friend. They wrote in ways that would have been normal for them. But even though they wrote in their own voice, the entire time the Holy Spirit was was carrying them along, guiding and directing them to write exactly what he desired his people to know, both the original readers and you and I this morning. Now, as we saw last week here in 2 Timothy, it it talks about that when Paul says that all scriptures God breathed, he is primarily talking about the Old Testament. But by this time, as Paul's writing these words in 2 Timothy, we see that some of his other letters and other books of the New Testament are already being considered and treated as Scripture. And so as we look at this passage here, as we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, we, can, we, we are on solid ground in applying this truth here that all Scripture is God-breathed. We can apply that to both our Old and our New Testament. So summarizing up all that I've said here, pastors and theologians will often refer to what's called the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. It's so the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture and it's it is not important for you to know that or to memorize that but I think it helpfully captures what we've been seeing here when when we say verbal what we mean is that it's the very words of scripture that are inspired it's it's the actual writing the text that's inspired that's been breathed out from God it's not the the apostles or the prophets who are inspired but it's the text the words itself and so when we say verbal, we're just referring to the words. When, they, when theologians talk about, the plen- talk about plenary, it just refers to the fact that all of Scripture is inspired, all of our Old Testament and our New Testament is inspired. It's not just the Psalms or the Gospels or even the red letters that are inspired, but the whole Bible, the Old and the New Testaments, the, the parts that bring us comfort and the parts that make us a bit uncomfortable are all inspired by God. It's this truth that 2 Timothy 3.16 is showing us here, that all scripture has been inspired, it's been breathed out by God, written for you and for me. This is why we can say when scripture speaks, God speaks. Because in the pages of scripture, we have the very words of God that have been written down for our instruction and preserved for you and for me today. Now, before we turn to apply this reality to our lives, to apply this truth to our lives, that all scripture is breathed out, that all scripture is authoritative, I just want to make what I hope is a helpful distinction for us. And that's why as we look at the the pages of scripture, as we look at the text of scripture, we can firmly say that that God's word is inspired. Um, To say that God's word is inspired is not to say, that our interpretations of God's word are inspired. God, the the Bible is inspired, yes, but our interpretations are not. The, The text is authoritative for us, but our theological positions are not. I think this can be a helpful distinction for us to keep in mind because all too often we can, or at least I know in my own heart, I am tempted to make my views on secondary matters authoritative. I can easily think that if you don't agree with me on this issue or that one, then you really don't believe the Bible. Because after all, my interpretation is the right interpretation of the Bible. And so if you disagree with me on this issue or that one, then you're really just disagreeing with the Bible. You're just disagreeing with God's word. So we need to be reminded here that while scripture is authoritative, it is not saying the same thing as saying that our theological tribes, our positions, are authoritative. As we think about secondary issues, things like the age of the earth or the, the, the time period being described in Genesis 1 and 2. When we think about things like who should be baptized and how should they be baptized. When we think about the end times, everything that's, that's going to happen or not happen and when is it going to happen or what has already happened when we think about all those issues, and even as we think about what are called the miraculous spiritual gifts, all of, these, all of these issues, what we call secondary issues today, we all need to have a significant amount of humility in how we hold our views and have a significant amount of generosity or charity in how we view those who disagree with us. As so I've been, been thinking about this sermon I've just really been wishing that I could go back in time and tell my college-age self this truth. In the past week, I have just had, had vivid memories of heated discussions and debates that I would have with others in the dorms or in the classrooms as we would talk about different passages or, or different theological topics, and I was so quick, especially on these secondary issues here, to equate my views or the views of those people in my theological tribe as the only correct position. And I was very quick to charge those who disagreed with me with just not believing the Bible. This was something that I know I thought often, and to my shame I know on more than one occasion I actually charged another person with denying the authority of the Bible because they had the audacity to agree with my interpretation whether it was a secondary issue, like something like creation or something like Calvinism, they would, they would disagree with me and I would charge them with denying the authority of scripture. Oh, how I needed much more humility in myself and have much more generosity towards other people who disagreed with me. So I think that's something that we can take away from our passage this morning. And, and I don't want you to, to, to misunderstand me here. I do believe that there are a number of issues where you and I need to take strong biblical and theological stands. Things like the doctrine of the Trinity, the, the deity of Christ, the incarnation, the resurrection, issues like this, what, what Gavin Ortland calls first rank issues. These, we must have courage and conviction to fight for what the Bible clearly teaches. I think the, the creeds of the early church, creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creeds that we usually recite here on Sunday mornings, they helpfully capture for us what these first rank issues are. I think as a, as a general rule, it's just helpful to kind of keep in the back of our mind that if a creed doesn't speak to a specific issue, it's probably a good idea for us to not make it a matter of first importance, a first rank issue issue. There there are exceptions, but I think as a general rule, that is helpful for us. But when it comes to what Gavin Ortland here calls second-rank or especially third-rank issues, um, while they're not unimportant, I think he, he calls us to have a sense of proportionality in our personal convictions, knowing that these are not gospel issues. They are not first-rank issues. So certainly have your views, have your convictions, but on these secondary matters, I would just urge you to hold them with humility in yourself and to have a significant amount of generosity towards those who disagree with you. If you find uh, that you might be tempted, like I know I so easily am, to make theological molehills into mountains. Um, I would really recommend this book by Gavin Ortland. It's called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. It's a Gavin Ortland. Finding the Right Hills to Die On. Uh, Jeff can get that to you in about uh, two days if you order after the sermon's done. Um, But he makes a helpful case for theological triage there. And I think that this book will help you to develop, help you to cultivate a a biblical sense of proportionality in how you hold your views. So we've been seeing here that the Bible is inspired so that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so therefore, the Bible must be our ultimate authority. And in the time that remains here this morning, I just want to turn to why this matters. I want to focus now on why does this matter for our lives? Why is it important for us to know that when, God, that when Scripture speaks, God speaks? And I think there are, there are many applications, but I want to highlight two. And the first is that because when Scripture speaks, God speaks, we must submit to Scripture. Because when Scripture speaks, God speaks, we must submit to Scripture. I think this really is where the rubber hits the road for you and for me if as we've been seeing, God's word is inspired and therefore it's authoritative, then we must submit to it. And oh, how we need to be reminded of this reality, because if you are anything like me, I know that my default position here is the default position of Adam and Eve in the garden where I desire to be my own authoritative, where I desire to make my own rules, to decide for myself what's right and what's wrong. But here, as we see in 2 Timothy 3.16, because the scriptures are God-breathed, we cannot put our feelings or our experiences of tho- or those of people we know and love above the Bible. We can't put our feelings or our experiences in judgment over the Bible. Rather, we must be like the Bereans. Do you remember the Bereans from Acts 17? Acts 17 there's just this great little passage here about these uh, um, about these Jews in the city of Berea where Paul and Silas are are going around preaching the gospel and as Paul ar- Paul and Silas arrive in Berea, they go to the synagogue and they preach the gospel and in acts 17 eleven we read we read this we read now these Jews, these Jews who were in, who were in Berea were more noble. Than those in Thessalonica. Those were a group of Jews who tried to who formed a mob and had to tried to have Paul and Silas killed. It was saying that the Jews here in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with eagerness. They received Paul and Silas's preaching with eagerness. And then it says that they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The the Bereans were a group of people who knew that when scripture speaks, God speaks. And so as they heard Paul and Silas's preaching, they weren't just going to reject it or buy it hook, line, and sinker. No, they wanted to examine the scriptures daily to see if what Paul and Silas said was true. I think this is just a great picture of what it looks like, a great picture of what a scripture-saturated church looks like. It's filled with people who are daily examining scripture to see if the things that they are hearing are true to see if the things Tabitha or myself are saying as we preach God's word are true, who are examining the scriptures to see if the stuff they hear on the news or the internet or Facebook or any other social media, to see if whatever they're reading or hearing is true, if it aligns with what God has told us in his word. And, And Grace Church, I know that you are doing this already, and I just want to encourage you to continue doing so, to continue submitting yourself to the inspired and authoritative word, searching the scriptures daily to see if what you're hearing is true. So I've just been thinking about this sermon. I've I've really had a burden for our high schoolers and our college age and our young adults um, to, to, to see this and to believe this truth Because in ways that are unlike anything that I ever experienced growing up, I know that you are now and you will continue to face really, really difficult situations that are going to cause you to question whether God's word will be the ultimate authority in your life. I know that for many of you right now, you are struggling with the Bible's teaching on gender and sexuality. Not, Not only wondering what in the world does the Bible say about these things, but also for those areas that are clear. I just know that there is a real tension that you feel about whether you are going to submit to what it says. I get that and I totally understand that. I think especially when these topics aren't abstract but they are are deeply personal because they have to do with people that you know and people that you love and and personally, I feel this same tension every time I have coffee or every time I get together with my friends in the LGBT community. Because, but, it, but in the midst of this tension, 2 Timothy 3 is calling us to submit to what the Bible says. It's calling us in the midst of this tension that we feel to submit our thoughts and our feelings, to submit our, our feelings, our experiences to what God says in his word, knowing that when scripture speaks, God speaks. And this submission here, it's not meant to be a a slavish submission, but I think it's meant to be a glad-hearted submission because the Bible doesn't record for us just a a bunch of do's and don'ts, but it reveals God's very heart for us, God's very heart for his people, a, a heart that desires our good and are flourishing. So as we think about issues like gender and sexuality, as we look to what the scripture says on those issues, it's not simply about what not to do or what you can do before you get married. And it's not even mostly about who you can or can't get married to, but it is mainly about revealing how and why God has created us and how we can flourish and thrive in our relationships with one another. The Bible shows us what's best and most life-giving for everyone created in his image. And knowing this and seeing this, we can glad-heartedly submit to Scripture on these issues, knowing that God is for us, knowing that God desires our best. I think we, we saw a beautiful picture of this yesterday in our cultural equipping class as one of the, the people shared their struggle with same-sex attraction. And yet, even though at times this person wished that the Bible said something different, knowing that when Scripture speaks, God speaks, this person is submitting this area of their lives to the teaching of the Bible, knowing that God is for them, knowing that God is for their good. And I know that this person isn't the only one here in this church who's struggling and who is submitting in the exact same way, because I have spoken with you And for all of you, I just want to say thank you for your example to me of costly but glad-hearted submission to God's Word, knowing that when God speaks, or when Scripture speaks, God speaks. And I think for all of us, I think there's just an opportunity for us to examine our own lives and to see what are the areas of our own life where we are having difficulties submitting ourselves to his word, whether it's what his word says about money, whether what it says about materialism or consumerism or any number of issues, I would just encourage you to, to search your heart to see if you are gladheartedly submitting yourself to the full teaching of scripture, knowing that when scripture speaks, God speaks. So we've so we've seen that when Scripture speaks, God speaks. So we must submit to the God-breathed Scripture. But there is a second application for us, and that is because when Scripture speaks, God speaks. I think there's a calling here for you and I to savor the God-breathed Scriptures. You might have been feeling this way already, but I just want to say that it's truly an astonishing thing that in our Bibles we have. God's personal words to us. This this reality should stop us in our tracks. The mere fact that we have God's word this morning is a sign of his grace and his mercy to us. Not only that he has taken the initiative to reveal himself to his people most supremely in Christ, but also that he has given and preserved his inspired word for you and for me this morning so that today, some, some 2,000 years after Christ's resurrection and ascension, you and I, through the Spirit, can still hear God's personal words to us. This is amazing. We should savor the God-breathed scriptures. Think as we, we begin to think about the Bible in this way that a passage like Psalm 119 can begin to make sense to us. So, so one author has called some, Psalm 119 a, a love poem to God's word, a, a love poem to God's words to us, where, where we read statements like, I will delight in your statutes. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. He says, your law is my delight. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Delighting and loving and longing for, hoping in God's word, finding comfort in God's word. The the psalmist could say these things. The psalmist could feel things like this because he knew that on the pages of scripture that he was reading, he had God's very personal words to him, words that revealed his heart for him. The psalmist and many others in Scripture could could savor and cherish God's word because more than just words on a page, they knew that they they knew that in these words they saw who God was and who he was for them. They treasured and delighted in God's word because in it They received hope and comfort and assurance. They were reminded time and time again of what they were so quick to forget, the love of God in Christ towards his people. And brothers and sisters, you and I can receive all of these things in God's word right now. You and I can receive wisdom, joy, comfort, and hope. We can receive reminders of God's love for us. All of these things are held out to us in the God-breathed scriptures, and we are daily invited to receive and to experience these realities as we spend time in God's word. You see, saints throughout the ages have have prioritized and prized the spiritual disciplines of of reading and meditating on God's word, not not as a means to earn his favor, but as a means to experience relationship with him, as a means to be reminded once again of who God is for them. They savored the scriptures because in them, they heard God's personal words to them. They saw their saviour. They, they generally spoke about this using a phrase called, called communion with God. And this is, this is a concept that I feel like I'm just beginning to understand. And it's, it's, and one of the things that has most helped me to understand this phrase here, communion with God, um, it, it helped bring it from an abstract concept more to like a daily experience is a practice that I, that I learned a few years ago in this counseling cohort that Tab and I participated in. As, uh, as part of this cohort, the, the pastor leading it, a uh, dear friend, Robert Chong, he didn't speak of reading God's word, but instead he spoke of receiving from God in his word. He didn't invite us to read the word. He invited us to receive from God in his word. And I I know for you, this might be a, uh, a, a distinction without a difference, but this small change for me really, really helped position me differently as I come to scripture each morning. As I sit down with my cup of coffee, as I open up my Bible and my journal, I am not coming just to read a book but I am coming to receive from God in his word that I might savor him in his word all the more. As I, I come, I come to receive mercy and grace in my time of need. I come to receive the much needed reminder that before I do or say anything that in Christ I am God's beloved son with whom he is well pleased. I I come to have my vision of who Christ is for me corrected, as the Bible especially reminds me that Jesus doesn't keep me at arm's length. Rather, Jesus is always gentle and lowly towards me. Jesus always approaches me with open arms. The Bible shows me that rather than driving him away from me when Christ sees my sins, His most natural instinct is to move towards me in grace and love. Yes, in Scripture there is warning. Yes, in Scripture there is correction. But these two flow from God's heart for us, which desires our wholeness and our healing. This is why we should savor the God-breathed Scripture, because in them we see our Savior. In them we hear God's voice, reminders of who He is for you and for me. And so this morning, are you here and perhaps aware that right now you are not savoring the God-breathed scriptures? If you are there, I just want to encourage you to consider whether later today or sometime tomorrow, whenever works for you, I just want to invite you to, to sit down, to open your Bible with a pen in hand, perhaps to one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And before you start reading, remind yourself that you are here to receive from God in his God-breathed word to you. And then read. And then read, and everywhere you see God's heart for sinners, God's heart for the outcasts, for the guilty, and for those who feel ashamed, meditate on that reality and remind yourself that that is God's heart towards you right now. And we know that this is true. We know that sh- we know that this is true because the God-breathed scriptures show us the ultimate display of God's heart for us, the ultimate display of God's love for us when we see Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, hanging from the cross, receiving the penalty for our sins, the sins of all who trust in him. And so that by trusting in Christ, by trusting in his life, death and resurrection, we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. We can receive the restoration of our relationship with him. It's in scripture that we see, as we sang earlier, the darling of heaven crucified for you and for me, drawing us, inviting us to himself that we might see his heart, that we might hear his words for us. And it's revealed in all of scripture, Genesis to Revelation. So this morning, I want to encourage you to let god's heart stir you to savor and to delight in his inspired word that you will savor and delight in your savior all the more and so what is your ultimate authority this morning as we've been seeing this morning the bible the god-breathed scriptures is to be our ultimate authority because when scripture speaks god speaks But it's not just an authority that we are called to slavishly submit to because Scripture, but because Scripture reveals God's heart of love for his people, we can gladheartedly submit to and savor the God-breathed Scriptures as they draw us more and more to savor and submit to God himself whom we see revealed to us in Scripture. So I want to invite Scott and the, the band, I want to invite the ushers to get ready for for the Lord's Supper. This morning, as I've been preaching about the written word of God, as we close our service, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which has been called the visible word, where we not only hear the good news, but in the bread and the cup, we see the good news, as the bread and the cup visibly remind us of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for all who trust in him. So in just... A minute as you, so in just a minute as you come forward, I want to encourage you to, to see in the bread and the cup God's heart for you that's revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. And tasting this good news, let it stir your heart to want to grow all the more in your knowledge and love for God as you grow in your knowledge and love for God's God breathed word to you and me. And for all those who are here who have who have yet to trust in Christ I just want to first off thank you for being here it is just a pleasure that you are here with us this morning and this morning I would just invite you to consider God's heart for you revealed in scripture that Jesus, the son of God, would go to the cross, would bear the penalty for your sin, that through trusting in him, you can be forgiven of your sins and you can be be restored to your relationship with him. So this morning, I encourage you to take Christ this morning, to turn to him trusting and believing in what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And we do this each Sunday because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he picked up the bread, he had given thanks, and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, and when he had given, this, when he had given thanks, he said, this is God's covenant sealed with my blood. Drink from it in remembrance of me. So you can come forward when you are ready and as you receive the bread and the cup, let us savor our Savior all the more.